0: Welcome to the Unremarkable Brain Podcast, a fat-fueled adventure into the world of food, health, neurology, and the ketogenic lifestyle. My name is Big Dave Robinson, and I'll be your host. I'm not a doctor, researcher, or a health guru. I'm just a fellow traveler on this journey of learning. A few years ago, I stumbled upon a low-carb way of eating, and at the time, I thought it was nothing more than a weight-loss gimmick. But I opened my ears, started to listen, and I discovered that cutting out carbs and embracing healthy fats is a well-researched way not only to lose weight, but also to manage my epilepsy, a journey that I've chronicled in my recent book, My Unremarkable Brain, available now wherever books are sold. Now, several years in, I'm still listening, still learning, and still thriving with a low-carb lifestyle. This podcast is a chance to share that learning and hopefully inspire you to thrive in your own life, whatever your situation may be. Please note that although we talk a lot about health, nothing on this podcast constitutes medical advice. Always talk to your doctor, nurse, coach, shaman, or other healthcare professional before undertaking any diet, exercise, or lifestyle changes. Now, on with the show. Hey, welcome, everybody. It's Big Dave here, and uh, this is our Unremarkable Brain podcast. Uh, tonight, we're recording live with Dr. Vincent Ben-Bocchicchio. Um, let me do a quick uh, intro for Dr. Ben, and then we'll get into our discussion here, and we'll have an open Q&A for our guests who are here. Feel free to um, to ask questions either in the chat, or you can unmute yourself and, and ask verbally with your words, uh, either way. But uh, tonight, uh, like I said, I'm very honored to be joined here by Dr. Ben. Uh, he has been at the forefront of health and wellness for nearly 50 years uh, as a clinician in the fields of Fitness and Health, he has initiated and promoted behavioral interventions that are proven to be effective in the treatment and management of degenerative diseases that plague our public health. Um, Dr. Ben has applied his extensive recognized background and experience in diet and exercise as the basis of his intervention protocol. Initially, in 1974, he introduced slow resistance training to the exercise world in a successful attempt to provide safe, high-intensity exercise to all populations. And we'll talk about high-intensity exercise today. Uh, He was the first practitioner to include resistance training to Phase two cardiac rehabilitation in 1982, and that's now accepted standard protocol. He also pioneered high-intensity exercise for for endurance athletes in the mid-1980s. Another thing I want to touch on for sure today. Um, And lastly, he introduced high-intensity exercise for weight loss management, programs, uh, including the OptiFast protocol, used by the first popular bi- bariatric uh, surgery uh, protocol called OptiFit. Um, he's been an expert consultant to professional college teams, the US Olympic Committee, the National Football League, Major League Baseball, pretty much everybody. Um, and um, he has, uh, on the academic side, he's ha- he's published more than 200 articles and study reports in the fields of fitness, health, and exercise. Um, His work includes the acclaimed book, 15 Minutes to Fitness, which we'll talk about tonight, and the sale of more than 300,000 smart DVDs in 31 countries. He's continuing his work as an investigator and consultant to Johns Hopkins School of Medicine, Arizona State University, and a number of academic and corporate health institutions. And with that, welcome, Dr. Ben. Well, thank you. Glad to be here again. So... um, Got a couple more folks. I'm just admitting now. But uh but let's get started. Let's as I was reading um I was reading 15 minutes to fitness again. I think it's the third time I've read it. And each time <laughs> I read it, I get something else out of it. Um there's so many little nuances, so many little uh nuggets of information there. But I think if I were to summarize it, I would say that, you know, you touch on the diet piece, um, you know, and, and controlled carbohydrate eating, you touch on the exercise piece. Um, with high intensity exercise. And I would say if there's one thing where they kind of meet in the middle that I would say it's all about hormones. Is that fair to say or are you think?
1: Well, I guess it, it's, all, it's all about what these behaviors do, what they drive, what they instigate, what pathways they stimulate. And I, I guess that's the whole, the whole health thing is really about energy and signals and re- reception of signals and You can get down to what they call redox biology. It really gets down to how we regulate protons and electrons, if you really want to get down to it. But yeah, and and the hormones are probably the manifestation of all of those balances or imbalances chemically that drive certain levels of health or ill health, I guess. So that kind of milieu, that kind of whatever that soup of your hormone
0: combinations are, is going to be directly involved with determining your health. Yeah, yeah, that's a great that's a great uh, sort of overview. Uh, what would you say are the are the biggest ones to think about? I mean, we hear about uh, insulin, leptin, ghrelin. Uh, you yeah, know, well, growth hormone Okay, so
1: if we're starting off with the premise that we have metabolic health issues, okay, and most of those issues really uh, involve. The accumulation of too much energy in the form of body fat that starts to permeate and and then blood sugar that starts to permeate into cells in areas where it really doesn't belong at the concentrations that it gets to, which we call diabetes or we call Alzheimer's or we call obesity or uh, circulatory, you know, heart artery problems and things. So, I mean, really... um, Insulin really is—it's it, a—it's a major factor, and uh, I think I think glucagon is a little underrated. That's the—that's the other side of the seesaw of you know insulin and whatever insulin does, glucagon doesn't. Whatever glucagon does, insulin doesn't. You know they're kind of—they're both located in the pancreas, the alpha cells and the beta cells. Beta cells for insulin, alpha cells for glucagon, are right next to each other, so they must be aware of what the other one's doing, and so. That kind of regulation, I, I think, is kind of really po- po- important. Uh, another one that's not mentioned because it's it's so um, abused in the in the news, kind of, is like growth hormone. I mean, you know, uh, pituitary gland produces this hormone as we're growing and as we're young, and and apparently it dissipates in its effectiveness and in its volume and intensity as we get older. And if you measure that, um, and there are ways to maintain higher levels and things like that. But, I mean, I know of clinicians when I was a kid, when I was in my 20s or 30s, who would tell me about this stuff and say, you know, we've got these people that are just frail and they're they're dying because they're old and they're just feeble. And we give them growth hormone and they're fine. I mean, (laughs) these people come back to life. And after the study's done in six or twelve weeks, we take them off, and they're dead in like five days. I mean, so there's something obviously. It it is a representation of vigor and health. Obviously, uh, I think longevity. You know, so staying staying young. I mean, since mankind got organized, whenever that was, um, there's always been a search for the fountain of youth. And youth, to me, is kind of uh, or, or or anti aging is kind of a an arm's length creation of your philosophy on life and your physiology staying as far away from death as you can which would be anti-aging you know the ultimate aging would be death so i think all this health stuff has really to do with when you're young you don't think about it in those terms but i think it has to do with anti-aging and not dying and not degenerating to the point where on one side of the spectrum we have health on the other side illness and on the really base side of that illness, we have death, you know? So that's what I gave the talk about in Boca too. Uh, I, I just think it's fascinating. there's it so much information now. It's it's pretty cool.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I really appreciate you talking Boca. I mean, every time <clears throat> every time sp- I've heard you speak, I think you've done the last three or four of those uh, low carb USA events. And um, every time it's something different, you know, it's not, it's not sort of, uh, re- retracing yeah, you know, I, I did, before that, I did mitochondria. And
1: if you think about mitochondria, they're really the, the the mechanism of energy production and utilization. And what does that mean? It means that it keeps the cells vigorous, you know, in, in, um, energized, youthful. You know, I mean, the, the, all this stuff is, you know, think about it. We got cells, which are little people. We have millions of these little people that can live and die and be healthy or not can be vibrant or not, can be decrepit or not. And they're like, you know, as as many of those little people as we can keep youthful, is, will, the whole body will respond and be youthful. I mean, so you can look at it at the micro level, the cellular level, and at the macro level, the whole organism of, of a human being, and it's, it's, it's such a high correlation. So behaviorally, what do we do to keep ourselves healthy, to keep ourselves as well as ourselves healthy? I mean, that's what we're
0: all about right yeah yeah i like that i and your talk um you began with a with a short video and i believe it was was it your mother-in-law do it lifting oh yeah raises?
1: my mother-in-law who i just trained today okay is that right 88 and i had a, she was doing uh eight pound nice slow dumbbell lateral raises i mean you know you try eight pounds most of that, that's some real resistance and 15 pound dumbbell curls you know and so wow. you can maintain that strength and, uh, you know, she's 88 and, you know, maybe a little bit exceptional, but she does her walking every day. She eats really well, has since I know her. Uh, and, you know, it, it, this stuff can happen. It, it ain't magic. I don't think she's like a superhuman genetic species. She just has taken care of
0: herself, you know. That's cool. That's very cool. Can I can I embarrass you a little bit and show this, share this? Uh, I, I think you can screenshot. show this stuff. Whether you can embarrass me or not is a whole different issue. Uh, <laughs> <maybe>. <laughs> this is this is one of your slides from from Boca. OK, and, um, uh, sort of a before and after. I mean, we're used to, to diet books having a before and after. But this is uh, this is well, pretty extreme. I think little background on this. OK, yeah.
1: When I when I did the book, they said you've worked with a lot of celebrities and movie stars and athletes and this. Do you have before and after? I said I don't take pictures of my clients or patients. If they want pictures, they can take them. I don't. I don't think it's professional. So they wanted before and after pictures. So as a joke, I found this picture on the left when I was 25. That, wow. I was in Boca Raton, in uh, no, actually I was back in Staten. Anyway, uh, somebody asked, said doubted that I could get muscular or strong doing the workout. So I did a workout and I had my Speedo from Boca Raton when I was in grad school (laughs) under my workout shorts. So I jumped up on a bench and I did that pose like a a bodybuilder pose. I'm not a bodybuilder, but I just made a pose, right? And so then I thought about it when I was writing the book. I said before and after. So I took a picture when I was 65. I was just uh, starting the book and I, as a joke, I said to publishers, "I said here's before and after. I said this is before I got old, and this is after I got old." You know. <laughs> and then I was doing this um, talk on anti-aging, so I said, "Ah, let's do one." I did. That was a few days before the uh, conference in this year in uh, January. So I, I threw that in there to so, say, you know, that's a fifty-year gap almost, and you know, I'm not obviously what I was when I was 25, but you know maintained a, a lot of you know the fitness and and the, and the muscularity and strength and stuff like that
0: <laughs> so, I'd say so yeah yeah you're looking good man you're looking good that was <laughs> the story I could I I, I want to be like you when I grow up <laughs> <laughs> well I want to grow up first <laughs> <laughs> so what is uh, so what's the relationship of strength to um to longevity or anti-aging. Okay,
1: so I, and I think I'm beat this horse to death a little, but uh, I, I saw a study. And this is before I did this. Th- I saw a study a number of years ago done by a guy who I had done presentations with, 25, 30 years ago. Okay, anyway, it's a study by Ruiz and Blair, 2006, new a uh, little bit British, British Journal of. British Journal of Medicine, I believe, 2006. Anyway, I think they had like 10,000. I believe it was men, but it might have been people. Don't hold me to it. It's a long time. Anyway, and they tried to determine which factors, which correlatives are most strongly related to longevity. And they studied smoking and diabetes and obesity and blood pressure and all kinds of parameters. And the one that came out to be the most significantly correlated was muscle strength. So the, the takeaway was if you're in the top third for your age and gender and muscle strength, singularly alone, you are basically 40 percent less likely to die of cancer and 40 percent more likely to live to be 100 as wow. a single correlative. So that's a Now, think about that. You're saying, well, you know, you're a muscle guy. The state, you know, OK, I had nothing to do with the study. But right. if you think about what that's really saying, it's saying that if your muscle system is working at a good high level. Okay, that all of the support systems—the endocrine system, we're talking about hormones, the uh, cardiovascular system, the respiratory system, skeletal system—obviously have to be working at a pretty high level to support the demand that, that high level, um, that that high level uh, muscle status has attained. Okay, so that's. Uh, Basically, I may be going in and out a little bit on this picture because there's like a rain coming down in Phoenix, believe it or not, or Scottsdale, I, which doesn't wow. happen. So probably freaks out my computer. But anyway, <laughs> so that's that's the story. So it is. And, and I think there's so much support for that that it's ridiculous. OK, that's why, you know, sarcopenia, the loss of muscle is now being really treated seriously. And saying, this is this is a cause of death. This is, you know, th- this starts to go down that cascade, that that slide. And you better watch it because it's indicating there's a lot of metabolic stuff that that's not functioning at a good level.
0: Okay. Okay. Interesting. Yeah. And I like that. And you make that point in the book as well about because um, we we think of muscles as in isolation, right? They they get yeah. us around, and you know they look nice, they look good if you get it, get them all swole. But um, yeah. <laughs> that that um, I think what you say in the in the book is that it's the strongest. Um, signaling system right that we have right that, that yeah, i mean as as
1: it's a, i mean organ. a lot of our physiological development as a species had to do with muscle demand even the brain there's plenty of evidence to that okay so the more you de- demand and we had demands you know to live, to survive to get food muscularly and all of the systems that support that effort i mean i'm an exercise physiologist right but what does that mean? It means I study physiology, and I just studied it under the most extreme, demanding conditions, which are exercise. So it even manifests some of these mechanisms even more significantly, I think. But but really, what we're trying to do when we're trying to stay healthy, when we're trying to eat properly, behaviorally, what we're trying to do is um, epigenetic. Meaning, we may have a predisposition in our foundation, which are, which is our g- genome. We may have that. Uh, tendency but it will not be manifested in almost any case unless we you know pull the trigger the gun is the genome and the trigger is the epigenetics is the behavior the environment things like that and that's very that's very fascinating I mean that's and now we we are seeing Dave in this anti-aging stuff for real the ability to take genes okay and maneuver the genes, because all genes are really a bunch of protein signaling uh, situations, okay, combinations, and we're able to manipulate them to the point where they can take now, I think, what would be equivalent to a 60-year-old monkey, and through some genetic um, manipulation, get them to be, you know, when you take a test, you take their cells to be 30-year-old monkeys. I mean, this stuff is happening. This is really happening And again, it it all goes back to when you know you say I do different topics, but every time I do a different topic, it comes down to the same thing. It comes down to energy. Mm -hmm. How effective are we at maintaining energy levels, signaling energetically and clearly, responding appropriately to energy? All this whole deal. There would be no low carb, there would be no Dr. Ben, if we had this total control of energy. But energy is, I think, the the root cause and the root solution.
0: Interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Um that's a whole whole different sort of framework to put it in, right? I mean, even even the word anti-aging is sort of, you know, thinking about I always thought of it as, you know, keeping from aging, right? Trying to trying to slip, put the brakes on that inevitable yeah. downhill climb but um if if you're talking about, you know, being able to manipulate monkey genes to to reverse almost reverse aging right yeah, well, absolutely and, you know and, yep. and that it all comes down to energy energy uptake and energy usage and that, that yeah yeah know, the, and, I, cool. and I
1: gave this example but I think it's a nice example okay um when you get a brand new cd okay it's perfect it's and it sends the beautiful music or it's talking whatever perfectly clearly loud everything okay as we put it back and forth and we use it we put it in the folder we put it on the desk we put you know It gets nicks and scratches. It becomes imperfect. So at some point, if you take that, you know, ad infinitum, um, it becomes, well, you don't know what the hell's on there. You can't tell. You can't read it. And you throw it away. Well, cells are like that. They degenerate a little bit, and you lose the strength of the signal, the clarity of the signal. You also lose the ability to respond to it, to hear it as as everything ages, uh, but mainly that CD. But now they figured out a way to polish those scratches out so you've still again you've got the same genome that you had uh-huh. but now epigenetically we're taking out all the interference all the aging all the usage or abuse or whatever you want to call it and make it like new i mean you know pretty close it's that's cool and i think in the next yeah. 5 years david i think you're going to see some wacky stuff as far as curing reversing certain certain genetically involved conditions uh i just think you know healing it's good it's i'm i'm looking forward to it. if i you know if i make it next week but you know but still yeah that to me it's this is really happening now this stuff is is going on you know
0: yeah yeah i feel like epigenetics is a term i hear more and more lately And yeah. it used to be like oh you have the gene for you know red hair you have the gene yeah. for cancer it's it's a done right. deal right it's it's a, right. it's a sentence of some kind but mm-hmm. but epigenetics the idea that you can actually influence whether those genes like you say it's a it's a loaded gun but whether it goes off or not you do have some yeah, the, control and the
1: thing that. is you take two identical twins right mm-hmm. they get separated or whatever the hell the story is okay and you see them at 45 years of age you know one guy looks 65 one guy looks 30 I mean, so obviously they have the exact same foundational influence, yeah, genome. But look at what look what happened. I mean, they've got plenty of that stuff going on. I mean, so, you know, the, the like you said, it's not a sentence. There's hope. And all you can do is try to reach your genetic potential, you know, without making yourself insane. Um, because like the same thing with exercise. How big and strong can you get? Well, the closer you get to your genetic potential. The more difficult it becomes because you just can't don't have you know you can't build uh, a 70-story building on a, a frame and a, and a foundation for a two-story house you know uh, anyway so that's but that is almost never the limitation genetics are almost never the limitation it's always something there's usually always something we can do to get closer to that okay and again without making yourself you know fixated
0: on some crazy goal but. That gets me into something that I've been meaning to ask you, by the way, um, because I've always I've been doing your workout. Uh, I did 96 smart workouts last year. I did two per week, uh, four weeks each month. So uh managed to to fulfill my New Year's resolution for the first time yeah. ever, probably. Yeah. Um, but uh, um, and I, I definitely seen strength gains. I've definitely seen very small um, uh gains as far as you know muscles here and there a little bit of a yeah. lump here a little bit of a lump there yeah. but I've always had a difficult time really putting on muscle even when I was in the best of shape you know when mm-hmm. I was when I was 22 and I was rowing you know twice a day and my coaches would say you know we need to put more muscle on you and I remember at the time there was this discussion about people being ectomorphs or endomorphs or mesomorphs I don't know if I have those words right But yeah you're right you're right anything so to we- that
1: well, what, what if somebody designated different body types,
0: I mean, I can walk into a mall
1: or someplace and tell you, you know, so uh, an, an endomorph is a heavy person, thicker, okay? An ectomorph is a skinny person, angular, skinny finger kind of thing. Uh, mesomorph is supposed to be a combination where you have good, good muscle, good leanness, you know, and so those are the designations. They just made the different body types. They gave them names, okay? No. Um, and sure, I mean, uh, you know, if, if I see two women walking down the street, I, I'll say to my wife, that's a mother and daughter, I I can see by the shape of their legs, the muscle formation, I, that kind of stuff just fascinates me as say, oh, those, that those are sisters, you know, anyway, so sure, you've got that that's your genome that okay, you've got that. Um, so it's very difficult for someone who is an ectomorph. I mean, I know plenty of guys that are 6'1", 6'3". Six four that have, have always been skinny. Now, as they get older, they were skinny. Now they have a little pot belly, so they are the you know the sofis or whatever it is. I can identify uh, that. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. And then you have other guys that have wrists the size of most people's you know necks, and they just you know can put on a lot of muscle. That's just that's just their physiology and and and, and anatomical structure. Uh, and then you have you have some people, the, the rarest species or, or uh, phenotype they call them. Okay. Is the person who's got a lot of muscle and very little fat <laughs> I mean, you know those are the guys we pay 10 million dollars a year to run around in you know for us and you know, other b- ball players and stuff so right. okay so yeah but that's what that means but i have yet to see a person who couldn't look and i'm talking about you know cosmetics now couldn't mm-hmm. look a hell of a lot better than they looked independent of that predisposition okay you know you know i used to have this Gals come to me and show me a picture of a 17 year old model coming out of the surf and say, Can you make me look like that? I said, Yeah, but I have to change your parents. And that's really
0: tough. <laughs> so, uh, you know, so again, that's what that's all about. Yeah. Thanks. I, I want to make sure we get into the questions from the crowd. I saw Rich had his hand up. Did you? Um... Oh, hang on. Let me unmute you.
2: No, uh, okay. Hey, yeah, I did have a quick question because I got to drop here, but okay. yeah, yeah. Dr. B. It, so, you know, we all work out eating. We, we eat good at home. My wife cooks all natural stuff and we don't eat a lot of sweets, although I will have a quarter of a chocolate dipped Oreo every day. A quarter of it. Okay. Okay. Well, a I quarter, that, a half. This
1: should, not, this should not kill you. Okay. You're right.
2: Exactly. So <laughs> what food? what food that one might consider... Sort of healthy that you you know like you hear about tomatoes and the skin on a tomato is bad right I mean bad I mean maybe that's a big yeah, word no I got no I hear you. I hear what yeah you me, give me give yeah. me one food that you would think well that's got to be good and it's not good it's something you should avoid just give me one
1: well depending on who you listen to you know
2: yeah you know well
1: I'm listening um, to you right oatmeal now. oatmeal okay there's one everybody across the universe says oatmeal is is the healthy food now. Depends what that means. I mean, for some people, it's healthy. For a lot of people, it'll spike their blood sugar. Now, is that healthy? Especially if you're trying to lose weight or, try, or you're pre-diabetic. So, you know, steel, grain, cut, whatever the hell it is, oatmeal. Okay. And I have a buddy, good one of my golfing buddies. I you know for 25 years. I see him two or three times a week. Brilliant guy, right? And he says, I, you know, and finally, I got him to say, I said, Dan, even though you're not getting heavy, his weight has been ridiculously the same for since he's out of high school. Okay. I said, I think, you know, metabolically at some point it may catch up to you, but he said every day. And for him, it's probably okay. But now we've got him where he isn't. And is actually his a one C is down a little Not that It was high, but it's down lower and all good things have happened. But I mean, that's one. And, and it's very hard to tell people. And even my, when I first heard that and saw the, the glycemic, uh, um, response i said holy shit you know (laughs) oatmeal basically if you don't put sugar in it it's like eating friggin you know kernels of something off the ground i mean so I thought it had to be benign it tasted so bad by itself but there's (laughs) one okay i mean okay and as far as the tomatoes it's interesting i'm italian right when i eat tomato sauce marinara sauce and it has a very small amount of sugar i still get a glycemic response that would be it seems disproportionate which makes me sad okay mm-hmm. and some people it doesn't bother this that stuff i think is very individual okay right. i mean and that makes sense but you know so that's why you have a glucose monitor that's why you check your blood if you're really interested let's see did this bother now for example what did i have the other day i had some um god i think it was waffle i had some waffle sweet potato fries with a burger and i had three or four i almost never take but I said, let me see some. So I ate three or four or five. My blood sugar went down after I ate that hamburger with those things. So what hmm. the hell does that mean? Now, some people could eat a sweet potato and or something mm. and it spikes it. So, you know, this stuff is very individual. But, uh, you know, generally what we were told, I think all of us that are listening to this podcast know what we were told by the government or by our doctors who listen to what the government people, you know, who are bought out um, say about stuff, you'd think, oh, Jesus, you know, this stuff is great. It's healthy. It's it's also why we're, we're diabetic and, you know, and a steak is unhealthy, right? You couldn't eat anything worse than a steak. You might as well just inject cholesterol into the linings of your arteries and, and die, you know?
0: So, mm-hmm. and, you know,
1: right. it's, it's, this is common sense. A lot of this stuff. Yeah.
0: yeah. Rich is one Thanks. of my coffee buddies and he brings a he brings a pile of bacon to our coffee every Friday. Oh so.
2: yeah. And they all act like they don't want it, but they do. And they <laughs> <eat it. laughs> And yeah. I got I got, I got, got gotta drop, guys. I'll get the book. Okay. Thank you very much, and I'll see you on the next podcast.
1: All right. Take care, Rich. Take care, guys. Thanks for coming, Rich. Yeah,
0: man. That Everyone else, opinion. feel free to uh, either drop a com- a comment or a question into the chat or qu- um, unmute yourself if you have a question. Raise your hand any way you want to do it, really. We're pretty informal here.
2: Victor. Okay. Yes, sir. Can you touch a little bit on I don't know, maybe other people have heard about the topic more in depth than I have. When we talk about creatine, basically, all we we hear about is, you know, take the standard, you know, three to five milligram three to five grams a day. Uh, it's going to help your recovery. After mm-hmm. a certain age, it has cognitive benefits. But mm-hmm. can you maybe get a little bit more in depth about it? Because that's about where at least my personal knowledge ends on it. Can you maybe... Give us a little bit more insight on the benefits. And, uh, you know, Okay, it's
1: again, I'm not a real big um, supplement guy, but I've given a number of talks and, and people have done interviews with me. And as I said, I think creatine has some really significant benefits and more recently, the cognitive benefits. So, again, remember I said, Vic, this is all about energy. Well, one of the initial stages of energy delivery is what we call the phosphagen you know aerobic anaerobic okay all that stuff but phosphagin is the creatine phosphate that we store in our muscles for example and part of the creatine phosphate is a phosphate molecule and a creatine molecule okay I man it's pretty simple so a- a- again as we get older okay um our ability to produce maintain respond to these energy delivery molecules gets gets muted or, or or slows down okay and so it it's stands to reason that your phosphocreatine levels are probably down and I think they are so if you take this one part of that whole that, that combined molecule um it helps and it's it has been shown to help um in in strength no question the the, the studies but then they had some people i think I'm trying to think oh the, the downside, believe it or not, I know the history of that pretty well. I was involved in that. Okay. The downside of creatine was where college and high school wrestlers were taking it like crazy. Okay. Way taken, taken way too much. And it, they were getting dehydrated because they were trying to lose weight. And then they said, well, it has, you know, it could have some deleterious effects. And that, that really was the basis of the, the, the downside. And then it became popular again because some people started to use it. For uh, basically anti-aging, for basically cognitive, and the studies that they've done with creatine supplementation, uh, it seems like the cognitive capacity when they do these tests—you know, what's a monkey, what's a tortoise, or whatever the hell—okay, people did better, and so it it makes sense again back to that energy delivery mechanism of you know overall health and function. I think it's one of you know just as just as fat is important, just as Glucose is important. Okay. Creatin is part is one of the delivery systems in energy um, availability that you, as we're younger, the CP or the creatin phosphate or phosphocreatin, they call it both, um, it is at higher levels. And you can increase that level. And it seems to be that the increasing of that level is correlated with higher level of function mentally and muscle uh, function. Uh, does that Thank answer you. your question? Yeah, yeah absolutely. absolutely. Yeah, and I'll, sh- I'll show you one second I'll on stuff. I'll show you how much, uh, how important it is.
2: Okay,
1: right here next to my computer. Hey, okay. all right. Okay. There you go. I take, it. Um, I take it. I take it after I work out or uh, do some activity because that's when the protein uptake is probably a little bit. And again, that's that may be total BS, but I, I think it can't hurt for that to be part of the habit.
2: You know, okay takes, so you so you having said that can i touch on one more thing you'll have the I mean, you'll have the people ad, advocating or saying do you take it pre or post I, you know, it what it seems
1: to me you know vic again we may be getting into the weeds it may not mean a damn thing it's like they say take collagen before like 35 45 minutes before a workout uh, uh and it's it's another thing that i i mean what well, the two out of the four things that i take okay but um Take collagen before with a little bit of vitamin C, or at least you, you need vitamin C as what they call a cofactor to make it work. Um, you know, half hour before you do a workout. So I take the collagen before, and I take the creatine after, and that's probably eighty-five percent of my supplementation. <laughs> you know that I that I use.
2: Thank you very much.
0: No problem. Yeah, great question, Vic. Thanks for thanks for that. Um, uh, now we have to know what the other two are. What are the other two supplements? That oh, I
1: do take, uh, I'll tell you one that I've just found, and this is, you know, I'm not, I don't sell this stuff. I don't do anything. But um, when we were looking at this energy stuff and anti-aging, I, I, I did about three or four months of study. And I, I kept coming up with certain molecules that they said were definitely good for anti-aging. So one of the molecules, and again, this goes back to energy. <laughs> Energy, if you think about a battery, you got a positive and a negative, you got a proton and an electron, not to get into the weeds, because I don't know that stuff that well anyway. But the point is, energy has to do with electrons and protons changing places, you know, and, and getting high gradients and changing the gradient and all that stuff. So you got the protons, okay? And you need them, the electrons for the uh, electrons to have something to balance against and gradients, you know, to make like a battery kind of a situation happen, okay? So NAD, nicotinamide adenosine diphosphate, is a proton donor. It's in, found in every cell, okay, in our body. And it seems that as we get older, our NAD levels decrease. So I've seen a number of studies now, legit studies, not, not pharmaceutical studies, studies with people that they know that are the science dudes and they just want to know stuff, Okay. And it seems that one, uh, one gram a day. Okay, I have to back up. Sorry, you cannot take uh, NAD uh, on the skin or orally. You have to, it has to be injected or through a drip. So, what's the next step? So we, we cascade, and it, it's it's a derivative of, of vitamin B three actually, and then it gets there's an upstream and downstream, you know, segmentation of how this process, how it processes. So one step before NAD is something called NMN, Nancy, Mary, Nancy, okay, nicotinamide nicotinamide mononucleotide, okay, but it's NMN, it's all over the friggin' world now, because that increases NAD, which increases proton donors, which increases energy capacity, okay, again, energy capacity. So you can take uh, one gram a day of this NMN. And it increases, I think, in 45-year-olds plus, it increases our blood NAD by 50%. In other words, it'll it'll double it, actually. increases it by 100% in six to eight weeks, which can't be bad. No downside. I look to try to see if there's any downside, you know, stomach upset, anything, nothing. So wow. I started taking NMN uh, just eh, probably now two months, okay, after doing all the study. That's one of the things I take. And then I take... Um, Uh, What the hell else do I take? Um, I don't know. Maybe I take some multi thing or something. But you know, I, I, you know, and and like during the COVID, I was taking zinc, okay, Mm -hmm. because I uh, that seems to me to be prudent. First of all, with any of these things, find out if there's a downside. If there is, how bad is it? But if there's a downside, I try to stay away from it. But in some of these things, it it appears to be no downside. And then you may wasting your money. I guess that that's your worst downside. So. I think you know, and an anti-aging thing at my age. What the hell? What, what could it hurt? You know, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So, you know, that's well, uh, that's the, the other thing.
0: Cool. We did have two other um, supplement questions in the ch- in the chat. Going back to creatine, do you see more water retention with creatine? Yep, intake? that's what it does. So, okay.
1: in the muscle, you have say say your muscles are like a little hefty sandwich bag of noodles and and uh, Coop, you know, like thick stuff, like it's thick. Okay. The noodles are your muscle fibers, or what they call myofibrils. Okay. Those are your muscle fibers. And the soup is um, sarcoplasm, which is this plasma stuff. I think of it like lo mein in you know, Chinese food where you have noodles and some sauce and stuff. And so, and so when you take the creatine phosphate, okay, it's stored in that sarcoplasm, which is probably 90% water. And so there is a volumization of water. That's absolutely true. Uh, yes, but don't forget muscles are 78% water. Okay. So it's hard to distinguish, but yes. Yeah. And some I've had some women who didn't like it because they put on what was measured as muscle, but it was a lot, a lot of water and they didn't like that And they have
0: water retention issues and stuff. So yeah, that's no, that's not uncommon. Yeah, it happens. Gotcha. Gotcha. Thanks. And that was Bob Collins. I think you probably met Bob, but, uh, Low carb USA as well. Um uh, another question came in from my friend Krista. She said, What are your thoughts on taking MCT oil daily? Uh-oh. Thank you froze up, Dr. Ben.
2: Yeah, looks like he's uh, frozen. Give him a second. I know you've <clears> got <throat> an electrical <throat> storm going on. There you go. You
0: got well, you back. Yeah. Uh so I don't know if you heard, but uh MCT oil. Any thoughts on MCT
1: oil? Um, yeah, I, I, well, some of the some of the studies on cog, cognitive function on MCT oil, um, I know you know who knows a lot about that is Amy Berger, um, but yeah, MCT oil supposedly MCT oil coconut oil. Uh, there have been a number of studies. There's certainly been case studies with you know. I think MCT oil is basically Lorenzo's oil. Remember that whole thing with the, well, you would know that more than anybody. Yeah, but you know. So um, I I think it's I think it's fine. I I don't know if it's totally necessary for everybody. You know, what are you trying to accomplish, and what do you think it's going to accomplish? Um, But apparently, it it, it provides I think, and again, I'm not super expert at this. I don't think, but uh, it provides a mechanism for an alternative energy source other than glucose. And then when you come to the brain, that's very important in the nervous system. So. Uh, I know a lot of people swear by it. I've used it for a while and then I just got lazy and I didn't seem to miss it. So I said, what the hell, you know, but I mean, uh, I would have no problem with somebody using MCT or, and there are other people, like I said, uh, a- I think Amy Burger, one of the, her, uh, Alzheimer's antidote, remember? She, yeah. I think she went into a couple of good case studies
0: in there. She knows that stuff cold. Yeah, yeah. And last month uh, I interviewed Mary Newport and of course she oh, Yeah, Mary, right, exactly. Absolutely. Um, That's right. Yep. Yep. And I take I'll I'll tell you just anecdotally, when I do wear a CGM, I'll get a dawn effect, you know, uh yep. usually a one one hundred plus, one hundred five, something like that in the morning. Yep. And it'll kinda hang there and then as soon around ten AM I'll have a, a tablespoon of M C T oil and then it yep. drops. Yeah, pretty, right, yeah, right. Yeah, afterwards. Right after so, uh, pretty it seems cool. Yeah, at, no, I, I my body. I, that's is switching another over. one. I don't
1: think there's a downside to it. What's you know? What's so? Uh, yeah,
0: yeah, yeah. That's fine. Cool. Um, well, I've got a couple more questions, but if anyone else has has a couple that came through email, then I'll ask. But if anyone else here on the Zoom has questions, feel free to 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 just shout out. um the The post that I wrote on my blog the other day. Um, because like I said, every time I read your book, I find something new in it. And there's a page, I think it was page 45. You talk about how the, um, the high intensity workout, Mm -hmm. um, uh, triggers adrenaline and that there's a role of adrenaline in fat burning, Mm -hmm. um, and, and sort of signaling to the, as far as I understand it signals to the fat molecules to break down some of that, triglyceride into fatty acids mm-hmm. send it into the bloodstream for fuel right um and yes. that's um and so of course somebody wrote right away and so, can i just watch a scary movie instead instead of working out um yeah would that yeah, you can. That? Uh, yeah do that for a couple of months let me
1: know how it works <laughs> <laughs> no i mean but it's true i mean you know it's the, it's the lady with the baby under the volkswagen kind of a thing mm-hmm. okay so What's happening is you're using, in that circumstance, you're using phosphocreatin. That's your phosphagin, this initial, that's the the spark, okay? Then the fire, flame, comes from glycogen. That's your mm-hmm. next, okay? Now, when your body's demanding this stuff at this enormous rate, which is an adrenaline response, okay, then your body's trying to back this thing up by releasing energy, fatty acids, which is going to be the next... Uh, fuel down the line to be asked to do something mm-hmm. so yeah that's that's what happens that's why when after you have a, a, a an a, an emergency after you have an adrenaline kind of response to something that you're shaking right you're yeah, shaking yeah. because you got so much goddamn energy when these free fatty acids have, have come to back up You've, you're done with the emergency whatever and now you got so much energy you are basically <laughs> have so much energy you can't control it kind of a thing that's what's happening
0: Yeah. 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 Okay. Cause I was thinking about that. I had a near, near accident over the summer. Right. And then I have one of those moments where everything tingles and everything. Yeah. I know. All of a sudden I feel like, you know, just full of all this crazy energy, but I imagine if you don't use it, then it gets, just gets reabsorbed. It gets recycled. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, So you do actually have to do the work to then burn that energy.
1: Yeah. I think so. I think that would be, you know, it's like when I was studying this uh, anti-aging the um, resveratrol, which they say is in wine and it's anti-aging and it's really right. good. It's the French should uh, or whatever the hell. Okay. Now, they found, and that's true, resveratrol is an anti-aging element, is molecule. However, you would have to drink 150 glasses of wine a day to get the, the, the therapeutic, you know, uh, <laughs> dosage. And so that's why you take it in the capsule form, you know right right yeah that
0: that would have that would have some negative effects so yeah, no, 250 glasses of wine 150
1: um, no, not 250 don't be crazy 150. oh okay sorry
0: sorry <laughs> <laughs> what about so so i have a list of, of buzzwords here that i that i hear all the time and and speaking of stuff that's that's kind of probably nonsense um one thing i hear all the time is uh muscle confusion. You know, you have mm-hmm. to mix up your workouts because mm-hmm. you have to confuse the muscles. Yeah.
1: That whoever and I think it was Joe Weider or one of those guys who actually coined that term. But the idea is that it's true your muscles will become um indurated, they will become just used to the same stuff, the okay? mm-hmm. same uh the same demand, let's put it that way. So some people thought, well, if you just change the exercises, that would be, and the, you know, you would confuse the muscle into hyper-responding, okay, responding more significantly. However, you know, being a little wise-ass that I am, I said, okay, my system, we take each exercise to failure, okay? By definition, you never get used to failure because mm. if you were used to it, you wouldn't fail. So every exercise that we do will confuse the muscle enough or whatever they want to call it. I think it's a, it's, a, it's a term used to jump off and, you know, to send you, well, this program has 45 different um, routines. And that's right. really, you know, it's bells and whistles, you know, kind right. of, I think. I don't think. I think it's bullshit.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Yeah thanks um <laughs> another one that is speaking of bullshit um <laughs> another one that that I've heard that some controversy around I guess some people say static stretching is is no good. They'll say you know it's old thinking it's you don't need to, to well it's okay. still
1: so let's think about what stretching is first of all, if anybody out there thinks they're gonna actually stretch the muscle, okay, the only way you stretch the muscle is to damage it, okay. But there's a mechanism in our muscles at the end of each muscle, there's tendons. Mm-hmm. Those tendons have receptors that called stretch receptors. So okay. their job is not to allow the muscle to stretch significantly or quickly, abruptly. So they prevent tears, damage. Okay. okay. When you stretch, what you're really trying to do is to have these inhibitory stretch receptors be less inhibitory so you're Hmm. trying to set in other words you get used to that tension you know how you do like a yoga pose you do stretching i tell people try to consciously breathe it out relax it consciously so what we're doing is we're trying to disinhibit the inhibitors to a point where they won't inhibit as much and you can actually get more range of motion okay without this inhibition causing pain or tension that's really what you're trying to do so static stretching is fine, and, and it actually there's plenty of studies show static stretching is fine. And dynamic stretching, pulse stretching is okay, except you have to be careful that the forces that the dynamic action cause and create is not enough to m- trigger the inhibitors, the, the, the stretch receptors to to disallow the stretch that you're trying to get accomplished in the first place. So yeah, under, I mean, it, it kind of makes sense if you, if you have a good kinesthetic sense of your body, but to be taught that, you have to, I think somebody has to almost kind of teach you that. I don't think it's intuitive to everybody. Gotcha. Gotcha.
0: Yeah, makes sense. Well, and it's certainly safe enough to to go through, like the stretch routine in your, in your book. where Yeah, you know, you know it's you're pretty doing simple stuff. stuff. It ain't magic. Yeah, yeah. Um, all right, one more buzzword that I'll throw at you. Um, I hear sometimes functional fitness, which generally they're talking about using compound exercises better because they use more muscles, you know, coordinated mm-hmm. together in a way, you know, like a, a deadlift or a squat or something like yeah, that. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: Okay. There is such thing as functional fitness. Okay. It has almost nothing to do with your resistance training. Okay. Peter Atia, you know, has some people that have done this functional training and I've always been, I think it's fine. I think it's fine. However, here's one element that they are all missing functional training is really skill training getting good at doing something okay Mm -hmm. and it's almost incredibly specific in other words i was a shot putter if i throw a 16 pound shot okay and i want to get better at it so i throw a 20 pound shot so now this is going to be relatively light it has almost no correlation to the function, my ability to function as a shot putter. Okay, mm-hmm. if I get on a machine and I try to simulate a sports move, okay, oh, it's just like a golf swing, or it's just like a tennis serve, or it's just like whatever the hell it might be. Okay, the functional, the best functional training is to do that specific movement as specifically as you can to get good at that. Because once you add weight, resistance, speed. You have created a different neuromuscular fine pattern, okay, which can almost become confusing, because mm-hmm. you go down a pathway you don't know where exactly to go. I think functional training. Now, if you're talking about older people like me, okay, and you want to have them get better at getting out of a car or something, okay, to me that's kind of practical. Then you want you want to understand which muscles are involved in that movement, make them as strong as possible. And then if we really want to get into functional stuff, practice get practice getting in and out of a car. Do it a few times. Do it in your garage. Okay? That to me. So if I'm gonna you know, and you could sit in a chair and try out and stuff, but if if we're gonna really, you know, be nitpicky here, um functional training has to be explained to me because, you know, and just because world class athletes do it, it doesn't mean that it's good. It means that these are genetic freaks that could do any friggin' thing, you know, right. and they're good at it. Okay. So I, I, I you've got to be careful. You know, let's train like the the uh, let's train like the NBA guys. Well, we're not NBA guys and they're freaks of nature. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and
0: you don't pay a guy ten million dollars because he's a normal person. Right, right, right. No, that's a great point. Great point. Yeah. Well, th- thanks for that. And and I like that, you know, it goes back to what you said earlier about what, what's the goal, what are you trying to accomplish, right? Yeah. What function are you training for specifically, right? If it is something in everyday life, like, you know, like you say, getting out of a car, getting up, being able to get up off the floor, you know. Yeah. Okay. Um,
1: now now there, there are legitimate tests to, to measure your, what they call functional capacity, which I, I understand. And then you can diagnose if you're really into this stuff, which muscles are tight and restrictive, which muscles are weak. They can do firing patterns and stuff like that. Um, but I think, you, you know, you take it too far and then you just, you know, you, you're nitpicking and I don't think it's worth that
0: effort. Gotcha. Gotcha. Well, we're coming up on time. If there are any other questions, just a uh, last, last call for any questions, feel free to raise your hand, unmute yourself. Kurt, I see your hand over there um let me see do i need to unmute oh, yeah i
1: see a hand yeah he's got a mute unmute or something kurt i think I, I have the same problem i don't know what that'll let me go.
0: try
3: that my first okay. time on the phone for zoom and probably my third time zooming uh after <laughs> book i haven't finished reading it yet just started lifting again after quite a few years of of of, of not um okay. I, I really find myself being fatigued after after those workouts, you know, the slow engaging mm-hmm. muscle, right? um, um, actually my brother owns the gym that lifts all the time. You know, he said he's, he did it too. And he is really amazed at how it fatigued him and how much harder it is. Yeah. Uh, question asks is, um, you know, the elliptical machines I use, um, you know, the legs, there's, it doesn't seem to be enough weight, uh, usually to, to, you know, get to that failure. Yeah. In that you would recommend and well, also what
1: exercises what exercises specifically are you talking about kurt
3: well uh leg curls and and uh leg press and whatnot and the, and the not nautilus type machines that he has at his at his and jam. the weight
1: that the resistance isn't enough
3: well it, it, well if you if you if you want to fail within that 90 second period no all
1: right so then uh, I and i'm pretty familiar i was one of the original nautilus guys Unless it's machines that I'm not a generation I'm not uh, aware of, I would say you may want to slow down because most of the machines, especially the early generations, I had monsters. I mean, monster NFL guys (laughs) and that didn't use the whole weight stack. So suggestion is slow down your reps. Uh, say on a leg curl, if if you if your form is good on that leg curl, and your hips stay into the bench. OK, and you isolate. It's like a concentration curl. You have to isolate. You don't let your butt come up. You don't use your hips. And your reps are taking you, say, uh, eight or 10 seconds up, 10 or 12 seconds down. OK, look at that first, because if, if that's the case on a regular Nautilus machine, which goes at least to 150 pounds, I mean, I had monster guys, like I said, NFL guys with legs like centaurs that couldn't use the whole weight stack. So just an aside, I'm saying, but so you're asking me, what if that's the case anyway, right? Like if I can't get to failure. Well, like, for example, if I do bands and I do squats with bands, well, the, the, the downside of the bands, one of the only ones is trying to hold as much weight here in the bands as you can use with your legs, because they're so much stronger. So I pre fatigue that movement with a wall seat to failure. You know what I'm talking about? 90 degrees. Go to failure. Wall seat takes a couple minutes. Once you get used to it, two and a half minutes and go right into your squats. So now a lesser weight will get you to that recruitment and failure within like, you know, 90 seconds for sure. Um, That's one of the things you can do. So, but if you're talking about leg curls, that's a pretty much an isolation move. And I don't know what the hell. I mean, you could maybe. So,
3: what what's your leg routine? Leg extension, leg curl, leg press, or something, or what? Yeah, exactly. Just the, okay. uh, I forget what brand he has. It's actually made by the Nautilus. He, you know, has the the shell oh. state things. I forget what brand, like Ice Star or something Star.
1: Or, okay, I, 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 I don't know all of them, but okay. So yeah, but usually, again, the you know the other thing you can do it's not as time efficient is you can do one yeah. leg at a time. I mean, you know. And uh, I can't imagine anybody that. Oh,
3: was... That was another thing I was going to do. So, uh, is it if I was to do a, another, let's say I did the, the machines and I was to do maybe dumbbell presses, is it redundant or is it helpful? Or if I wanted to extend that 15, 20 minutes it takes me and. and, and yeah, okay. Some... So,
1: okay. You're asking me really, can I add stuff and will it be damaging? Okay. The only time it's damaging, but it's not uncommon, is if you take the the amount of exercise that you do to a point where it becomes more difficult to recover, okay? So the more is better thing, uh, I had one guy who told me this years ago, he's been training forever, and he said, not one more set, one more rep. In other words, when you're to that point where you think you failed, see if you can get one more rep. As opposed to resting and doing one more set. But if you're talking about a dumbbell press for delts for, for your shoulders, for example, after like a, a lateral raise maybe or something like that, right? Okay, that's fine. That that's called a compound movement. Okay, and I and I don't, I don't have a problem with complex muscle groups like lats or pecs or even delts. Okay, but always do the isolation first. Isolate to failure. Okay, because think about this, Kurt. When you do a dumbbell press, what's going to fail? Your shoulders no your triceps okay so what i would do is to fatigue the delts so now we've kind of balanced the potential of the triceps to the delts because we've diminished the delt by making it fatigue The go right from here to your press now you got a nice combination of what we call a compound move you uh, know a compound set um so yeah i mean there there's a bunch of different things that you know you can do to to um solve those problems, you know, those are good problems. But yeah, there's stuff you can do. Absolutely.
3: You okay, do- one more question. Uh yeah, the, sure, the, the, sure. when I first started was um the failure part, you know, push yourself to that failure. Mm-hmm. Get to- yeah. failure. Uh what are your kind of tricks for that where you wanna give up maybe two, uh, two, two reps before you should or
1: well I mean I mean, I think one is just be honest with yourself. I mean, I just trained today and I'm old and I got some, you know, banged up joints and you, you you just, you know, you don't try, try not to count much, even though it's really human nature, but all of it. And if you've completed a rep and you could try to start another one, you know, say I'm going to get a half a rep or something, I mean, you know, eat it, eat the sandwich in little pieces, don't gulp it down. So it's just, you get to that point and, you know, like a leg extension. Okay. And I, Boy, that burns like a son of a bitch, all right? And I, just try one more. Just go for it. Get, it. get an extra inch. Get get up six inches. I mean, you you generally can lead up. And it's it's really the honest, like, I, I think I got more left. And it, if you don't, you're going to stop like I did today. I'm up about halfway up. I can't move that son of If you gave me a million bucks, I couldn't move that thing up an inch, okay? And so, but the more you control it, the easier it is for you to get that feel of failure and exhaustion. The, more, the the quicker you are, the less formal, less structured the form is, the more white noise there is, and the more confusing it is to concentrate on that failure. So, and, and at, one guy asked me last week, I was working out with him and <laughs> he was doing rowing. And I said, oh, come on, pull, pull, pull. I can't, I said, pull harder. I mean, you know, that's sometimes what's what I think. I'm pulling as hard as I can, pull harder. And if I can't, it stops, it's over, okay? So, yeah, I mean, but I understand. I mean, because if you're used to doing sets, you know, and, and listen, what makes this very effective is that you're going to a point where your body's saying, this is this is heavy duty shit. This is an emergency. We want to create a safe, productive emergency. I want your body to say, holy shit, I can't do any more." And I got 80-year-old ladies doing it. I mean, it's not like it's some, you know, enormous uh, feat of of, of, uh, honor and courage. I mean, it's just, it goes, it goes hard as you can when you can't
3: move it anymore. You know, goodbye. That's it. Perfect. Well, thank you very much for answering those questions. No
1: problem, Kurt. A pleasure to talk to you.
0: Yeah. Good seeing you, Kurt. Thanks for the questions, man. Um, I do, I do find that though in the gym, there's a the mental game for sure. You know, oh, like I'll stop and I'll say, wait a minute, I got another one in me and then I'll I'll have to like do that gut check to keep myself honest yeah. because sometimes I'll,
1: I'll I'll try. Not human see, nature, you know. Now, this is a very important point you just brought up. This is my little battle with one of my dearest, nicest friends, um Mark uh Fukuzawa. Oh yeah, yeah. The the guy runs hundred mile races in his bare feet. I mean yeah. the guy's he's a very knowledgeable guy. But here's one of the points, you know, Uh, they say aerobic exercise is great for your brain. Aerobic exercise is mind numbing when taken to a point of, you know, of of a long endurance it's mind numbing. You want to have music. You want to have a distraction because one step after another 25,000 times is boring for just about anybody planet. When you do this exercise, okay, when you do this uh, exercise we're doing now, you know, you're you're not focused on your mortgage your wife your car you're saying my friggin legs are on fire okay it is so cerebrally intense yeah okay there's nothing like it and that means your brain has to be working and firing you know norepinephrine adrenaline uh dopamine at high friggin levels to try to get you there i think this exercise is much more beneficial for your brain even though the after effect of doing aerobic exercise, you know, it's better for circulation and oxygen delivery. I think you can get it done with this in space.
0: Yeah. Yeah. No, I, and, and, and you can feel it, you know, when I've got, when I've got yeah. a good, at the end of a good session, I'm <laughs> wrung out like a, like a sponge, yeah. you know, yeah. but I also feel like, like excited. and, you know, and but,
1: but not to be threatening, but this is as hard as you can work safely and productively. For, you know 15 minutes or 20 minutes that's that's big time man that's and that's why you don't do it every day you do it twice right. a week right let let you know let, let the benefits manifest themselves by recovery hey, and you do other things but not at that
2: level
0: yeah yeah that's perfect well um any final words of wisdom before we uh before we let you go doc
1: I think you picked my brain enough, there's almost nothing left in here, <laughs> no, I mean, yeah, you know, use your head. This stuff should make sense. And if it doesn't make sense, try to find somebody, my, myself included, you can always get in touch with, or somebody that you might think knows this stuff. And 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 you should have questions. I mean, this is not every, everyday stuff. You have, you should have questions. See if and sometimes the answers sound good, but don't believe the first guy. See if you can get somebody else to, you know, coordinate that thought. <laughs>
0: I like it. I like it. Well, thanks again, doc. For folks uh listening in on the podcast here. Once again, the book is 15 minutes to fitness. Uh Dr. Ben Bo Kikio, B-O-C-C-H-I, C C H I O. And um uh your website is drbenbo.com. Great resources there, videos, uh media. Um and uh one other
1: thing, I gotta tell one joke.
0: Yes, we need a joke.
1: All right, two blondes talking to each other first blonde says, I am so scared of bees. The second blonde says, that's nothing. I'm petrified of the entire alphabet. All right.
0: There it is, folks.
1: There you go, folks. That's what I came to say. (laughs)
0: Thanks Thanks again, Dr. Ben. Really appreciate it.
1: Everybody stay well.